6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Josiah got rid of it, and they came back in idolatry. And you and I tend to probably take the shrug of our shoulders because we don't think of idols as something we light candles to or kneel before. So we don't we don't think of idolatry in its classical pagan forms. It's all over us anyway. We just need to get to recognize it perhaps more precisely. But the interesting thing is, is that idolatry is always associated with immorality. When idolatry overtakes the land, immorality followed and vice versa. When immorality takes over the land, idolatry follows. And I don't think that formula has changed. As we understand Jeremiah better, we'll understand, we'll see with a total, totally new perception what's going on around us. Now, I will surprise most of you by getting actually into the chapter tonight. <laughs> Won't that be fun? Jeremiah. Okay, I, I, I apologize for trying to wander through all that material rather pedantically up front. You don't need to remember it all, but as we go, at least some of that will start to come together for you, I hope. And um, let's move on. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, period. The words of Jeremiah, that's strange. Let's say the word of the Lord as given to Jeremiah. He says the words of Jeremiah, and then goes on. Now, in a sense, that's convenient for us, because he doesn't limit his narrative to that, the words that the Lord gave him in its direct sense. It's the words of Jeremiah. In addition to the words that the Lord gives him, you're going to discover he's very free with autobiographical background, how he felt, what he did, and so forth, for which I think we can be grateful. Sometimes when we have just the words of the Lord per se, we sometimes wish we had more context, more perception of what was going on. In Jeremiah, that won't be too much of a problem. We're going to have an abundance of insight into the politics of the time, the context in which he's dealing, and perhaps most important for all of us is what was really going on in Jeremiah's life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I take the entire book as inspired. Don't misunderstand my remarks. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, and that's the Hilkiah that we, uh, as I mentioned, is the one that we believe was the same Hilkiah that was accredited with having found the uh, this discovering, this famous missing, you know, they, they had so forgotten the God of Israel. They actually discovered a book of the law in the temple. Now you first think, wow, I mean, that's almost laughable. And yet that shows you how destitute they were of uh, Orthodox practices during Josiah's reign. It was his encouragement that they came back. So Josiah is a good guy, and that's when this all starts here. 
the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Benjamin is quite a place, border of the south of Judah and to the north of Ephraim. It's the buffer state, if you will, between Israel and Judah. It gave us a lot of things. It gave us Saul, and it gave us two Sauls. King Saul, succeeded by David, and Saul, succeeding by himself, was Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Benjamin, roughnecks, tough guys, tradition of pretty aggressive characters, to whom the word of the Lord came. And that's, of course, the important issue. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. In other words, the king Josiah, even though some of his reforms obviously didn't last, didn't take hold, he's a good guy. In fact, uh, I can't help but be impressed with the product of his reign. It produced Jeremiah, it was when he came and called and prospered, in a, sense, in a spiritual sense, and also Daniel. Bear in mind, Daniel deported as a teenager, but who, who was he impressed by? Josiah. You may not know a lot about the guy, but you can inspect his fruits. And I'd say that between Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and whatever, we got some pretty good company. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. In other words, his words of Jeremiah from when? From these days, but also... In the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, skipping ahead to the end. See, all these characters were sons of Josiah. When I went through the five kings, Josiah and then the four others, the four others were sons of, you know, their names were changed by Nebuchadnezzar and all stuff, they're all sons of Josiah. And uh, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month, and that's not the first siege, that the last siege we're talking about. There are a couple of first siege with some deportations, but the city as a lock, stock, and barrel shut down in the third siege. So this is sort of an overview, if you will, of his call and his scope. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee, in the womb I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Four things there, gang. He knew, formed, consecrated, and appointed. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. Before I formed thee. How about you? Is that true of you? I wouldn't build my case from this verse, but I can, from other places in Scripture, support the view that God says that to you this evening. He knows how many hairs on your head are numbered. And if you're like me, that's a moving target. <laughs> Do you know how many hairs are on your head? Do you really? I don't think so. He knows more about you than you do to a little greater level of detail. And I obviously not the trivial things like how many hairs on your head, but the trivial things he also knows. Scripture tells us. When did he know those things? He has no mass. He's not constricted with time. He's outside the time domain. So he knew those things before Genesis 1, verse 2. He knew that a long time ago. Before you sinned, before Adam sinned, he provided the remedy by making a deal with our Savior, the everlasting covenant. That deal was struck before the early verses in Genesis. 
But he says, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Whoa. What do you mean sanctified? Fancy word. Excuse the pun, a sanctimonious word. What, what do we mean by sanctified? What a fabulous word. It means only means set aside. Set aside for holy purposes. That's all the word sanctified means. Set apart for holy service. Well, I thought he sanctified when he gets the Holy Spirit. Well, God says he must have had that when he was, before he came out of the womb. I won't build any doctrine on that one. That's just what God is saying to Jeremiah. When were you sanctified? Did God set you apart for holy service? If you've committed yourself to Jesus Christ, he has. And if you have, and he saves you, I submit he wasn't surprised. He knew that up front. How far up front? A long time ago, before he came out of the womb. So when were you sanctified? I'm not going to get a lot of New Testament doctrine there. Or raise, I'm just raising questions, okay? I think I could defend in a biblical debate that you're sanctified independent of time. Because I don't think you were sanctified by something you did. I think you were sanctified by something he did. And he did it. Well, whenever he did it, it's done. I mean, it's done before he did it because he's going to do it. <laughs> and he talks that way. In the Old Testament, you find prophecies described in the past tense. That's disturbing to a beginning Bible student because it's like, you know, he's done this. But it ain't going to happen for another thousand years. That's okay. He's done it because he's done it, you know. So let it be written, so let it be done kind of thing. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Can God say that to you? I think so. If you're in Jesus Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ, it's our collective prayer that you will be. And so he has. You just haven't found out yet. <laughs> Boy, we can get Calvinistic here. We're not careful, so I'll keep moving. <laughs> and I ordained thee a prophet into the nations. Are you a prophet? Probably. If you really know what a prophet is. Called out to foretell God's plan. Prophet doesn't talk about the future. He talks about the whole view of God's dealing. The part that fascinates us is the part that's coming, because we sort of figure history we can learn. But like to find the history that's written in advance. That's what we jointly define as prophecy. It's not a bad definition. But a prophet is more than just a fortune teller. He's really a forth teller. Tells forth God's word. Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Wow. That's quite a call. Quite a call. So that run over time, I won't chase it down. You might find those of you that are diligent students of the word might find it fun to contract to compare this with the call of Amos in Amos chapter seven. They'll find parallels. And you can contrast this with the calls of Isaiah and Ezekiel, Isaiah and Isaiah six and Ezekiel in chapter one. Amos in, in chapter seven, Isaiah in chapter six, and Ezekiel in chapter one are their calls. Those of you that are diligent students of prophecy might want to be a diligent student of prophets. And if you're interested in prophets, you can compare calls. There's something to be learned there, but I'll leave that uh, up to you. Now, the one thing that does begin to show up in, chapter, in verse 5 of chapter 1 that will be a vivid theme throughout the entire book of Jeremiah is relationship. You're going to discover, if you're attentive, that Jeremiah 
has a relationship with the Lord. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And uh, knowing the book ain't enough, you need to know its author. And that's what Jeremiah clearly does, and he covets it, develops it, is faithful to it. It's the most important thing in his life, is his relationship. And it's a coupling between his relationship with the Lord and his relationship with his nation. He's close to the Lord, and that leads him to do some surprising things. He calls down vengeance on his enemies. Many scholars are really troubled by some passages in Jeremiah. They think it's very, very ungodly. Some of the things Jeremiah says, they fail to really perceive where he's coming from and, and what he's really saying. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. So Jeremiah doesn't pull his punches. He is passionate and forthright and direct, our kind of guy. And a relationship, like any relationship, is of, is, is of God's doing because he knew, he formed, he consecrated, and he appointed. And I'm going to challenge you as you read this is to see if the shoe fits. Verse 6, gee, we're making real progress tonight. I should warn some of you that are new, we don't go at this pace through 52 chapters or we'd be here through 1998. Uh, but sometimes it's slow getting started. We, we, we will not be quite this tedious as we go. Yeah, I've also told you more than I know, so there won't be all this background as we would. Okay. Um, verse 6. But then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. It's reminiscent of Exodus 4 and Moses, right? I um, cannot speak, for I am a slow speech and of a slow tongue and all this. Remember Moses trying to cop out? The Lord says, Who made man's mouth, right? Well, Jeremiah tries to pull that stunt. He says, uh, see, God says, before, the Lord came to me saying, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet of the nations. With that kind of a declaration out of the mouth of the creator himself, I don't know how to handle that. I mean, that's got to be tough. But then Jeremiah, maybe call it hutzpah, I don't know. Then he said, then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. He's trying to cop out. Now, by the way, the word child here, that's again one of these words that in your English you stumble at because it sounds like he's saying I'm a little kid. The word is nar, and it's also used in Genesis 14 of the men of Abraham's army. Huh? And it's also used of Absalom at, uh, during his rebellion in 2 Samuel 18. So it's youth. But don't, don't get the impression of a child child. It's youth like he's, you know, under 30. Okay. But he is, he's young. He's young for the call. What His point being that he feels he's, he's immature for the role that God is calling him to. Verse 7. <laughs> but the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. And I have a feeling that's known as being having it explained more clearly. Here, it's like I hear that as saying, "When I say jump, you ask how high." You know. And the Lord said, "The Lord said to thee, Say not, our child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak." Now you can you can treat that as sort of a reprimand, or you can treat that as a prophecy. 
Now, when God prophesies out that way, the distinction becomes quite academic. Um, verse 8, be not afraid of their faces. Now, here's the, the good news. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. In other words, you're going to be my vehicle, Jeremiah. Now, it's interesting where he said he just touched his mouth. It's a lot more somehow humane than what Isaiah went through. If you remember the coals and the from the altar and my, all this business, um, I'm not going to make a big thing of it. It's just the, the, it, there's a parallel, and yet it's different. Okay, it just dawns on me, and it might have been the same, and Jeremiah just didn't choose to elaborate. I don't know. In any case, though, it's clear that there's no guesswork going on. There. Jeremiah spoke as God specifically, expressly instructed him, and he also gave him uh, the comfort of the protection. And it's going to be clear as we go that he enjoyed that. And what I mean by that, not that he took joy, but he had the benefit of, of, of that protection because Jeremiah goes through adversities continually. And all the way through, what's impressive is Jeremiah never wavers. He really hangs in there. He evidences not just God's words, but that relationship. And uh, that's the one thing that's going to come through, and that's what makes him such a spiritual giant, as we really understand what's going on. Now, verse 11, Moreover the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? There's going to be a couple of little object lessons coming here. Jeremiah uses a, seems to be a lot of drawing upon nature, and here's one of them. He says, Jeremiah says, What seest thou? And he said, I see the root of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. But the word of the Lord came unto me a second time, saying, What seest thou? And he said, I see a boiling pot, and his face is toward the north. The Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land, for lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come and they shall set every one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against its walls round about against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods and have worshipped the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a fortified city, and an iron pillar, and, a, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Boy, what a comfort, but he's going to need it couple of quick remarks, because we're running out of time. The almond thing. This is one of those places where in the English, and I'll try to catch this where I can. You may wonder, what's this almond tree? It's sort of me. Yeah, what's that all about? Well, the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what sees now? He says, behold, I see the rod of an almond tree. So he beholds an almond tree, and you wonder, well, what's that got to do with anything? Okay. And the Lord said unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. 
two things that you don't know that help unravel this. The almond tree blooms in January. That's middle of winter. It blooms early. It's considered a precursor to spring. When the almond tree blooms, you know spring is coming. But that's called a real leading indicator. You know, it ain't just around the corner. It's coming, but it's coming, coming. You know. So that's that's probably the main, you know, he said, what do you see? He says, well, I see an almond tree. And the Lord says, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform. In other words, the almond tree is used as a figure of some, as a harbinger of something coming. But what you also don't realize is that there is a play on words. Almond tree is seged, which is almond tree. Soged means God is watching. Okay, so there's, a, the, the, there's also a pun of sorts. In the Hebrew, there's a word play. You see, that's why the Lord can say, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten to perform it. The almond tree is almost sounds the same. It's like a pun. Yes, it's an almond tree, but it's also the word can mean he's watching. The Lord is watching over this, and he's going to make it happen. That's what's, what's suggested there to be fulfilled. And the other thing down here, he says the words came again a second time. He says, what do you see? And he says, I see a boiling pot with its face toward the north. That's misleading as it's translated. Its face from the north, it's pouring to the south. It sounds the way we would say it, you know, with its face to the north, you get the impression that if it was going to dump further over, it dumped to the north. No, it's got backwards. He's looking toward the north, but it's facing this way, south. And when you realize that, then the whole thing makes sense. Okay. You need to recognize something else is not obvious. If you study a map, you'll be confused because Babylon ain't northward. But its path to Israel is because they go on the crescent, because the impassable desert. So, so the Babylonians in attacking Israel will come from the north. So uh, the Lord says, uh, yes, out of the north, an evil shall break forth upon the inhabitants of the land. But this is an evil of the Lord's doing for judgment. You see, that's the part that Jeremiah understands and comes forth, because it'll sound strange that he keeps preaching for these guys to yield to this evil from the north, because it's God's hand. God's hand is in it. For lo, I will call the families of the kings of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come and shall set everyone in his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. In other words, that's, that's where he did the city business, was at the gates. So they're, they're going to be in charge, is what he's saying and against all the walls around about and against all the cities of Judah, and I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, have burned incense to their gods, and have worshipped the works of their own hands. Oh, uh, idols didn't happen. They were the works of man's hands. So you can worship idols, not just by lighting candles to some creature on a little hearth in the back room of your house, when you worship the works of your own hands. Secular humanism. Boy, aren't we great. Look what our society has done. Our technologies, our this, our that, what have you. Is that where we take our comfort or our goals? That doesn't mean that achievement isn't worth pursuing. Have it help our society if we fail to develop people who have a drive and a skill to achieve. I'm not... But... We don't worship it. In our society, we do. That's idolatry. That's the root cause of all the things that beset our nation. 
for my daughter. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee, you Jeremiah, this day a fortified city and iron pillar and bronze walls. Coming out of the word, uh, the word of the Lord, that's strong idioms. Against what? But this is the scary part. Lord say, I'm going to protect you. What are you going to protect me against? The whole land. Oh, really? In other words, you begin to realize what's coming up against them. Against the kings of Judah. Against its princes. Against its priests. Against the people of the land. The good news is God is going to protect them against that. And I don't mean to sound flippant or, or, or cynical, but if I was Jeremiah hearing that, I'd say, I'd rather pass. <laughs> I think of Tigvi and Fiddler on the Roof, you know. Can't you just have somebody else be chosen for a while, you know? And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Now, frankly, I, I can't help but infuse my own, perhaps, levity there, but truth matter is, as you get to know Jeremiah, you discover that he embraced that, took refuge in it, and was an unflinching, unfailing prophet that succeeded spiritually because of the relationship, because of his ability to take on that. Isaiah speaks of the salvation of the Lord, Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord, Daniel, the kingdom of the Lord, Jeremiah, the judgment of the Lord. And he's going to have much to say about that. Uh, let's stand. Jeremiah is going to talk about fountains of living waters. Jeremiah is going to give us the basis by which the New Testament was named. Jeremiah is going to introduce us to the New Covenant. When Jesus, in John 3, scolds Nicodemus for not understanding the born-again experience, he expected him to know it. Where would he know it? From the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament? The book of Jeremiah. There's a lot here besides old kings and wars and politics of Judah and all that. This is all going to give rise to some of the most important prophetic insights in the Scripture, and, and we'll take that as it comes. Let's bar our hearts for a word of prayer. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.